Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is December the 7th, and our chapter for today is James chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, for hedonism, that's the word, hedon, that war, and that's the word for strategies, strategies that have to do with war and defeating another. He says, where do these wars, these polemics, these fightings and quarrels and fussing come from from among you? They come from your own desires, your own pleasures, that war in your members, fight against you, have strategies against you. The Bible says we are not ignorant of the devil's schema, his methodia, his strategies. And so he has a strategy to divide us. And the way he does that is through our own selfishness, our own arguments and desire to have things easy. He said, you lust and do not have. And the word there for lust is epithumia. It is heat upon heat. Your desire, it overcomes you. Think about it. And the more you think about it, the more you want it. And the more that you don't have, the more that you want. He said, you murder. Murder, that's the word for intentional killing. You see, all killing is not murder. And in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, those ten words, the word is the word for intentional killing. He says, do not murder. Do not kill is probably not the best translation of that commandment. It is, you shall not murder. That is, the Lord Jesus said, if you already hate your brother, The seed of murder is within you because nobody just comes upon somebody and murders them because murder means you've intended to do it. You've thought about it and you, with intention, kill them so that you could have vengeance on them. You murder them. And so this is what he said. He said, this is all inside of us. We covet. That's the word zealous, which means to burn up. We burn in wanting what others have. We are jealous. The word envy and jealousy are many times the translation of the same word zealous or zealot. And so he says, you ask and you do not receive. Why do you not receive? Because you ask amiss. Number one, we don't ask. Then when we ask, we ask for selfish reasons. And so he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, the word adulterer and adulteresses is not just talking about physical adultery, a man going out on his wife or a woman going out on her husband. All throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, when the child of God or the person who knows God, when they turn and walk and do their own thing, 
They walk away from God. They walk in a way that's displeasing to God. That is spiritual adultery. Why? Because we've given our heart to another, or we've taken our heart and we've selfishly clung to it. And so he says, do you not know that friendship, the word friendship is the word philos, is the word for liking or loving. In other words, we are in a friendship relation with the world. Now, what is the world? Remember, it's the word cosmos, where we get our word cosmology, the study of the world. It is where we get the word cosmetics. Cosmeo means to arrange. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about order. The word cosmos means order primarily. So there is the order of nature. There is the spiritual world. That is the world that is against God. That's what's in this world is a spirit that is against the creator. And we have that tendency within us to worship the creation more than the creator. And so James is getting us down to where the shoe leather meets the road. And he said, do you not understand that when you're being friends with the world, when you're flirting with the world, when you're loving the world and you like it and you're fond of it, then that is enmity. You're at war with God when you do that. So he says, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world, you want to be a lover of the world, look at this. He makes himself an enemy of God, an enemy of God, a hater of God. That's the term there. Or do you think that the scripture says emptily or in vain or for no reason, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? That's interesting because the word dwell there is the word kata, which is the word for down in this context, and oikos is the word for house. It means, do you not understand that the spirit has come down to live in our house? Our house is our body. And so he says, the spirit of God has come to take up residence in your heart. You see, the moment you're saved and I'm saved, God comes to live in us. That is one of the great miracles of salvation. It's not some post-experience salvation down the road. Now, you might be filled with the Spirit down the road. You might be walking in the Spirit more sometimes than others and have a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of God comes to live in the weakest believer's life the moment they're saved. You see, no one is saved in the wrong way. Everybody's saved the same way, by grace through faith, by repenting of their sins. So you say, well, they got more saved than I did. They are saveder than I did. No, no, no. Everybody is saved the same way. From that point on, it's not we get more of God, but whether God gets more of us. You see, that's why we're told to yield to the spirit that's within us. God comes to live in our hearts. People say, well, I was taught that all of us don't have the spirit of God in us and that we're not baptized into the body at the moment. Well, that's just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, the apostle Paul says as clear as anywhere I've ever seen in Romans chapter eight and verse nine, if any man does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. Now, that's just what the passage says. You might like it, might not like it. This denomination might like it, might not like it. That doesn't matter. You see, those kind of things should be totally secondary, tertiary. They shouldn't even be in our thinking. We need to see what God says and do and think and be what God says. And so he says, the spirit who dwells in us. 
he's talking to people at every walk of life who claim to be followers of Jesus. The Spirit of God, kata oikos, who dwells in us, who lives in us, who has come down and made our bodies his very home. This is why Paul said, what, what to the Corinthians? Do you not know that your body is the naos, the holy of holies, not the first part of the temple, not the holy place, not the outer court, but the very place where God dwells? What, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He said, therefore, glorify God. Let people look at your body and see what you do and how you act and how you talk and how you think, and let them give glory to God. So the Spirit of God who dwells in us, look at this, yearns, yearns. It's the idea for longing. He's desiring to be the preeminent one in our lives. And he gives us more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, that is, he fights against. By the way, the word here means that he squares off against us. When we're proud and we're full of ourselves, God squares off against us where we can be hit head on. I mean, it's like God lines up against you. That's the term. You say, well, how did you come up with that? That's what the word says. That's what the Greek word is. It means to square off against someone, stand against someone. It's the word antitasso. Anti means against. Tasso is the word for basically to stand, to stand against us, to square off against us. And he says, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, what is humility? Humility is, uh, I think C.S. Lewis, it's hard to improve on what C.S. Lewis said humility is. Being humble and filled with humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And so he says, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, on that basis, submit to God. Get up and under his authority. Resist the devil. That's an imperative. Submit to God is an imperative. Resist the devil is an imperative. And the results are he will flee from you. Who? God? No, the devil. When you resist him, submitting under the lordship of Christ, draw near to God. So we are commanded to resist the devil and he will flee, draw near to God. That's another command, an imperative. And he will draw near to you. Then he says, cleanse your hands. That's another one. That's the word catharsis. Clean up, get it completely washed out. Your hands, get them clean. Who will ascend into the hill of the Lord? The one who has clean hands, a pure heart. We just dealt with this yesterday. So he says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. You cannot think and be double-minded about this. Now, look at this. I'm going to go back to verse 7 where he says, resist the devil, draw near to God, verse 8. What is all of that about? I thought we were as close to Jesus as we can ever get. Well, we are positionally, but God says, pursue holiness. The book of Hebrews said, pursue holiness. That's an imperative. Why would God ask us to pursue something if we already had possession of it? Why would God say resist something if we didn't have to? Why would God command us to draw near to God if we were as close as we could ever get? You see, we have all of God we'll ever get, but he doesn't have all of us. So we need to pursue him. We need to resist the evil one. The word for devil here is the word diabolos. It's not the word for Satan. It's the word for the slanderer. You see, in all of this, James has been talking about things that we have control of, that by God's grace, we can control. No man can tame the tongue, but God can tame our tongue. 
We cannot control our tongue. It'll get the best of us every time. But God supernaturally, by his divine enablement, empowers us to overcome our own mouth. And God, in his great provision, gives us the grace when we submit ourselves to him, when we humble ourselves before him, he gives us the grace to resist the devil, to fight the devil and win. Why? Because the devil will flee when we're doing that in God's power because he knows, well, they know the truth now, and that truth's going to set them free. And so if they're meditating on the truth, I don't have a chance. And so he flees. He'll come another time. He'll wait. That's what he does. He always does. He waits in the wings till we are not walking in the spirit, till the time that we think we're doing something and we are something and we're not. He finds a time when we're not walking in the fullness of the spirit, when we're not seeking to draw near to God, and he comes back. Now, this is what James does all the way through chapter 4. He's done it in chapter 3. He did it in chapter 2 and chapter 1. You see, James gets us down to where the water hits the wheel. He says, listen, what you need to do is weep before God. Mourn. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, when we get full of ourselves, and we are going our own way, the only remedy is to turn to God with everything that's within us. And what happens when we do that? We mourn and we weep. And the reason is we see that we're not all we're cracked up to be. We're not all that people think that we are. We're not all that. And then he said, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's only one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Oh, my goodness. Would it not do us good to just take care of ourselves? before we try to take care of someone else. Jesus said it like this. Now, you see, this is exactly what Jesus said. The apostles in Jesus used different terms, different illustrations, different analogies, but the same truth is behind it. Tend to your own knitting before you try to help someone else, because otherwise you'll be in the ditch with them. Jesus said it like this, before you try to pull the splinter out of someone else's eye, get that big log out of your own, and then you will be able to see properly to help that brother. You see, so many times we act like we're better than someone else, and the reason we act like that is because we think like that. But in reality, all of us are in need of the grace of God every day of our lives. And when we humble ourselves and realize that God's in control, we will do what James says in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make profit. Big talk. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what's your life? It's a puff of smoke. It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. Now, you see, God has made it very clear. 
We can't control anything without him. He's the one that's in control. We control very little. We might think we're in control, but isn't it amazing? All it takes is just the breath of God, and we're flat on our back. Just the breath of God and our mobility is taken away from us. Just the breath of God and a knee blows out on us, and we're not going anywhere. Or God allows us to have a heart attack. We're not going anywhere except to the hospital. And so all I'm saying is when we think we're in control, sometimes God gives us a wake-up call because when we're where we need to be, we will always think, whether we say it out loud or not, we'll always think, well, I hope I'm able to do this tomorrow. God willing, I'll do this tomorrow. If the Lord is good to me, I'll do this tomorrow, or I'll do this this afternoon. We always have to keep in mind that we're not in control. Basically, that's the gist of the closing verses of chapter 4 of James. The early verses have to do with mandates upon our lives to humble ourselves, walk with God, quit fussing, quit fighting, put the priorities where they need to be in our lives, and we'll have a better time with God and with others as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.